0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Cover Band Confidential podcast, the podcast for cover band musicians and band leaders to learn how to rock more and suck less. Here in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Adam Johnson. Here in Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan Wright. And this is a very special episode. Our guest this week is an American marketing strategist, music commentator, writer, and graphic designer who currently runs the YouTube channel The Punk Rock MBA and is director of marketing at the online education platform URM Academy, which provides online education for rock and metal producers. Ladies and gentlemen, but mostly gentlemen, please, <laughs> our guest this week, Finn McKenty from Seattle. Thank you very much for being here,
1: man. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And it sounds like you, uh, your your demographics are as much of a sausage party as mine are. Totally.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did the whole men in their 40s uh, meme that you did. Um, oh, yes. Very much. We're, we're very kind of like in the same line. Um, so just a short story of how um, I kind of ran up upon... Uh, Finn and his content. Um, I was definitely one of the uh, one of the guys in his target demo. Um, he actually just released a video this week about like what happens when scene guys grow up, and I felt extremely targeted. <laughs> um, he hit me on like four or five different categories. So um, as a former scene kid turned IT professional who now runs a podcast, uh, check, check, kiss my ass. <laughs> But the reason why I, um, I reached out to you um, is because the, the stuff that you've been kind of focusing on uh, recently is doing social media content um, uh, for specifically content creators and kind of marketing and kind of getting yourself out there. And for the people that, you know, listen to our stuff, you know, we are musicians who are kind of in a situation where um, the thing that we're normally
1: doing is not available to us anymore. So um, and what thing is that?
0: performing primarily okay so like live perf- that is
1: one that's one thing that you do but we, we can get into this later but I think the first thing that people need to do is flip the switch from thinking of themselves as musicians who play shows to being entertainers who do lots of things to entertain their audience one of which may be performing their songs live but mm. that's only one thing and so if you think about it that way one thing is off the table but that just means more time to spend on everything else.
0: Exactly. So I think the conversation we want to have uh, for this week's episode is kind of like um, as musicians, how do you kind of shift gears and kind of change focus uh, from being a quote unquote performer to being more of a content creator and what that kind of looks like? Um, because, you know, the, the thing that um, at least for us is that, you know, because I can't play shows that I've really started pouring a lot of my energy into this particular medium and um using the tips that uh, you've been kind of uh, advocating for under personal branding and that kind of thing to kind of build this up as a platform. So um, I just felt like, you know, us talking about not playing shows and stuff week after week, I think it was time to kind of like <laughs> bring another voice in and
1: uh, I've months people complaining about shows not happening.
0: Yeah, makes for some you really compelling podcasting. Yeah, yes you are, you are the you are the um, the raspberry sorbet of uh, <laughs> the
1: palate cleanser. That's right.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, why don't you give us just kind of like a short little background on how you kind of landed where you are right now, and kind of in the lane that you've uh, you've kind of found yourself in as of recent?
1: Well, what uh, Wikipedia I think left out. Is uh, And the way that most people know me is I have a YouTube channel called the Punk Rock NBA, which as of now has about 250,000 subscribers doing around a million, million and a half views a month. Uh, so that's how most people know me these days. But I've been creating content since I was like 14 or so. I started doing a fanzine back in the early 90s. Um after that, I did a few different blogs. And then, you know, basically my whole thing is like, I want to be wherever people's attention is. And in 1993, that was on printed, you know, printed material. Uh, and then as the internet started to become, uh, you know, more widespread and print made less sense, I moved there, just did wrote, instead of writing on pages, I wrote on blogs, which was an easy transition to make. But I realized after a while that blogs were also kind of, uh, I don't want to say dead, but definitely not where the action is. And I said, well, I guess I need to do video. And I already knew how to do video because back in the mid 2000s, I uh, was one of the people that ran this magazine called Flow Multizine, uh, which some people might remember from back then. It came with like a CD and a DVD and a magazine. Uh, This was, you know, 2004 to 2006. So, you know, DVDs and stuff made a lot more sense back then. And we would create custom content for that DVD based on our advertisers, you know, would pay us, say, like Quicksilver would have a surfing contest or something, and they would pay us to make a, you know, video about that contest or about their new surf DVD. And I made all that content on the DVD. So that's how I learned how to make videos. Uh, although looking back at them, I found some of the DVDs and I looked back and I'm like, that was horrible. Like, how did I, <laughs> what in the world made me like proud of putting this content out? This is terrible. Um, but anyway, that, that's how I learned how to make videos. But um, you know, in addition to that, my, I guess, real job has always been you know, marketing and design some sort of overlap of those things. Um, I, I went to school for graphic design and then eventually switched and got a degree in business. Um, I worked at a product design firm where I did a bunch of stuff for uh, Procter & Gamble and Motorola, but mostly Procter & Gamble like Febreze and Swiffer. Uh, and Tide and Bounce and a couple other brands, which sounds boring, but uh, was actually really cool because, I mean, these are giant, enormous global mega brands and doing anything at the scale of like... Like at the time, Bounce was selling like 400 million units a year, the fabric softeners, 400 million units a year. And you, you do anything at the scale of 400 million units a year and, it, it, and it's interesting because every single thing you do is multiplied by 400 million, which makes it significant. Uh, after that, I was a graphic designer and marketer at Abercrombie and Fitch for about four years, Uh, worked on designing shirts for Hollister. And then uh, a lot of uh, stuff involving like at the time we were opening a lot of flagships in Europe and Asia. So I worked on that stuff. Um, After that uh, I worked for an online education company called creative live, which makes content for creative folks, mostly photographers, but also like, you know, small business owners and crafters and, you know, filmmakers all kinds of things Uh, after that uh, i went to where i'm currently at as you said urm academy which is an online education platform for music producers specifically kind of in the rock and metal world Uh, some people listening to this may know of some of the other uh, partners in it uh, joey sturgis al levy and joel wanasek who are all successful producers that you know if you're into like metal they've probably worked with most of your favorite bands uh and then i started doing the youtube thing in 2017 uh and it didn't really go anywhere for a while and then it took off and here we are and you've also worked with you know with bands
0: specifically for certain you know campaigns that they've done and you've worked with musicians who were kind of spinning businesses off as well Um, yeah you know so you were involved with get good drums and horizon devices when when those products initially launched and Mm -hmm. Um, is yeah,
1: just is, is, uh, I don't know if this audience is familiar with those bands or what. What would do they know who Periphery is?
0: I mean, I do. I, okay. I'm a huge Periphery nerd. So got it.
1: Okay, yeah. So I, I I've worked with the Periphery guys on a bunch of different things uh, over the years. First worked with them at Creative Live back in 2014, I think, uh, and then they've spun off. As you said, they've spun off a couple of companies. One of which is called Get Good Drums, which is Matt and Misha and nolly formerly periphery and des from good tiger it's a drum sample company i helped them uh launch that on the marketing side of things helped get that off the ground that company's doing super well uh without me so maybe I wasn't that important <laughs> but uh no in all seriousness i i i think that i did make a difference there especially at the beginning they had some pretty ambitious goals for how many they wanted to sell and I put together a plan and we did it uh horizon devices is a guitar pedal company uh Co-owned, co-founded by Misha Mansour from Periphery, I worked with them for the first year or so of their existence. Uh, and again, they, you know, continued to crush it without me, so uh, <laughs> I can't take too much credit for that. But you know, I, I was there and I helped, and uh, I, I was happy to be part of that. I've also run Facebook campaigns for Periphery and a Day to Remember and in Intervals and some other artists. Uh, uh, you know, I've never really thought of myself as a music guy. I just helped i i I happen to know how to run facebook ads from other businesses so i just kind of helped my friends and some bands do that but i've never really thought of myself as a music guy and i would encourage anybody listening to this like there's no such thing as like music marketing there's just marketing yeah and it's it's a weird thing that musicians i think have kind of tunnel vision of like yeah but does this work for bands I mean, it, you know, there's the, anything can work. Like the goal of marketing is to make the cash register ring. And you First, know, I think, go you know,
0: ahead. it's like bands, you know, we, we kind of come from it from a business standpoint. So like, we're looking at, you know, these, these entities, the bands that we're creating as small businesses. So, um, uh, you know, the your approach makes perfect sense to you know to the kind of people that you know that listen to this kind of thing. So, yeah, you know, we're definitely on the same page as far as that goes.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I I'm not super familiar with the cover band world, but uh, it seems like they do think of themselves much more as like small businesses with a brand to build and maintain and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, more so than a lot of other bands who I think maybe think of themselves as artists who kind of begrudgingly engage in business. Mm. Um, which I think is a, you know, we I could talk all night long about uh, you know why that's uh, uh, not the best mentality, but it, I think you're right about cover bands. You would be in fantastic company here, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, That's
2: the flip side of being called a sellout. Being, being a cover band artist is yeah, you sold out to something that actually is a going concern business wise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as far as um, you know, you kind of you kind of led into it talking about like musicians having a hard time, kind of like. Making that switch, like, what do you think um, as far as as musicians and in like bands that are trying to establish themselves, like, what is something that you consistently consistently see people getting wrong?
1: Uh, the biggest mistake that musicians make is too much promotion, like okay. just blasting people with "Listen to my song, listen to my song, listen to my song, listen mm. to my song, listen to my song, watch my video, watch my video, watch my video, come to my show, come to my show, come to my show." like think of think of it the same way as if you're in a room with other humans and if you're just walking around that room or you can't see my hand cuz I got green screened out but pretend you're just walking around that room we've all if you've been to a networking event and there's that person that's just going around punishing everyone with handing out their business card you're like can I swear on this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you're just like dude fuck off i don't i don't know who you are i don't want your card go away And, you know, I would say that's the, the, the same mistake that musicians make. You have to understand, you know, if, if you just Google marketing funnel, you'll see that the first, you know, it's a, it's a funnel before you ask people to give you money or their attention. And by the way, you need to understand that in a lot of cases, asking people to give you their attention is, is a bigger ask than giving you their money because, you know, we're all busy. We've all got you know, competing priorities like families and stuff like that. And so if you're asking somebody, take time away from, you know, hanging out with your kids to listen to my song, that's actually a big ask. So before you do that, they have to know who you are. They have to care about you. They have to understand where you're coming from and why this is interesting and special. And why should they listen to your song or go to your show or whatever? So musicians kind of jump the gun and go straight to the promotion part. uh, And I think overlook the top of that funnel of like, building an audience and helping them slowly get to know you and then eventually making the ask.
0: Yeah. So um, for for the, our audience who may not understand the, uh, the connotation, can you explain what a Punisher is? Because I think as far as like the punk and hardcore world, like I think we kind of know what that term means, but I think it's really important that other people understand like in the big picture what a Punisher is and how they may accidentally be one and not know it.
1: A punisher is somebody who uh, makes you feel like being in their presence is a punishment for some crime <laughs> that you didn't know you committed. Uh, typically, you know, it, it, it's people who just kind of don't know when to back off. Uh, if, you're, if you're in a band, which it sounds like pretty much everyone listening to this is, there's that person that comes up to you after a show and asks you one kind of gear question and you answer it. And then they ask you another and another and another and another And it's like obvious that you're, you're sort of inching away from them and like your answers are getting shorter and shorter and you're, you're trying to give them subtle cues that it's time for this conversation to be over, (laughs) but they won't let it end. And, uh, you're like, what did I do? Why did I, what, what sort of cosmic injustice did I commit, uh, that, that, that made me deserve this conversation with this person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: regretting all of my choices now. Why
1: am I in a band?
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I spent all this time practicing and working on all of these things to talk to you.
1: Yeah. To- yes. So Not you sure. don't want to be that person. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I think these people generally mean well. So I, I, I should be, I should maybe be a little bit more gentle. I think they're generally nice people that mean well, that just don't have the social skills to understand, um, you know, to read the other person and understand that it's time to back off, but you don't want to be that person.
0: Yeah, I think the reason why I wanted to bring that up is that I feel like a lot of people, especially in, in like social media and kind of like m- marketing themselves and kind of making themselves, um, you know, putting themselves out there as a brand, they may accidentally be doing this on on, on social media and not, not know it. So, yeah, it's one thing to be at a show and like have it happen in like real life. But I think a lot of people don't understand that a lot of times the kind of the approach that they take online uh, can kind of mimic that real life interaction. So uh, I just wanted to kind of kind of
1: point that out and bring it home uh, for those yeah, of us. Those- don't You don't want to be a punisher. So what are some appropriate
2: actions at the top of the funnel then? What what kind of things do you do to start creating that relationship and create that connection?
1: Well, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on who you are and who your audience is and what phase you're at in your career and all that stuff. Career is a band. But, you know, I would think of it just imagine that you got plopped into a room full of 100 strangers. What would you do? You know, you would establish common interests and ask them about themselves and try to figure out a little bit more. You maybe share some kind of high-level information about yourself and why you're here and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it's social media. And I think people forget, like, the social part that, like, you should, you should, generally speaking, think about this the same way as you'd interact with other humans in person. So, for example, if you're uh, an artist, uh, a, a musician, one of the things you could do at the top of the funnel is like talk about your influences and you know, Hey, uh, we love Pantera. Here's why. And sort of tell like storytelling us what that's, what this is all about. So if you say that the one thing that brought us all together at the beginning of the band is we all love Pantera. And sometimes we fight over whether this album or that album is better. And, you know, Dan thinks vulgar display of power is the best, but he's wrong. And here's why. Ha ha ha. And then you have sort of told a little bit of a story about who you are and where you're from. And you have established some sort of rapport with your audience that like, if you like Pantera and we like Pantera, then we've got a little something in common. And then when I say later on, by the way, check out our new song, uh, you're going to go, Oh, these guys like Pantera as much as I do. I should check out this song. Cause maybe it sounds like Pantera.
0: This is super relatable for Dan. Who's a huge Pantera. Fan, I am. But... I, I,
1: I, yeah. Yeah. It's not exactly my genre, <laughs> but it's okay. Tell it's wh- right. wh- Which is your favorite album?
0: So you know, I Volga Display is kind of my go-to, but I'm not afraid of saying that reinventing the steel was pretty solid.
2: Controversial really? choice. How about you, Dan? I am actually not a metal guy so much. So Pantera, I'm, I'm passingly. Oh, familiar. oh, he was joking. No, he was joking. Okay. Yeah, passingly familiar. I passed. Yeah, past, yeah. <laughs> got it. Yeah,
1: yeah. No. Um, so there yeah. you go. So you you put that out there, and then there's going to be a conversation in the comments about which album is the best and whatever you said, and then you go in there and reply to all those comments. And now people, even if you're not in a big band, people are going to be excited that somebody from the band replied to their comment. And uh, guess what happens next time you post something? Like They just have more of a connection with you because you replied to their comment. And next time you post something, they're going to be way more inclined to pay attention to it, to interact with it. And when you do say, please listen to my song, they're going to be way more inclined to do that because they know you a little bit more.
0: Well, here's kind of a funny, you know, take on that particular one is um, uh, this is like a year or so ago. I my wife had asked me because of a mutual friend, like what's a cool Dream Theater album that you know people would know, and I posted something about it on Facebook about like whatever the Dream Theater album was, and our our mutual friend. Uh, me and finn cooper carter jumped in because he works with dream theater he's like oh well i think it's this one and whatever you're thinking is more of like a kind of a derivative and not really the one that people think is the most commercially about and like like it became this whole like pile exactly
1: and you are at the center of that conversation let's pretend that that interaction happened you know let's pretend that you're you know that happened on your your band account you are the center of that interaction which now makes you the life of the party exactly and by the way one thing i would say is um I strongly recommend that people do all this stuff. It might be a little bit different for cover bands, maybe. But generally speaking, I strongly recommend that people do this stuff from their personal accounts because you know, business accounts, people don't want to follow a brand or a company. They want to follow other humans. And look at any band look at the interaction on their band account versus the individual members' accounts, and it's probably five times better on the individual accounts because we want to connect with other humans. So have a band account by all means, but you're just making life way harder for yourself by trying to get people to interact with a brand account.
0: So, well, here that's a a great conversation. So, you know, Dan and I both have our own personal accounts, and then we have the podcast has its own separate account, with like a like a YouTube like a Facebook group and stuff kind of tied to it, like what what should be our approach there? Like, how is the best way to to kind of manage those different accounts and kind of tie them together or keep them separate? Like, what what would you recommend?
1: Well, what I, I mean, there should always be a brand account for, and I say brand account meaning a company or entity of any kind. Uh, there should be a brand account for anything because it should exist. But I think you should put your efforts into telling the story of what you do on your personal accounts. And again, the more people understand you and where you're coming from, the more likely they're going to be to check out your podcast. And if you can't even get your friends and family to care about your podcast, then there's a big problem. So that's step one. And then once those people care about it, you'll get more people to follow you and stuff. But so what I would do is... like. You know, you got to figure out what is your story. Uh, and for you, maybe it's that you're, you know, I don't know enough about you to say what it is, but like maybe, you know, you're you're the musician guy uh, in your circle of friends. And in particular, you talk about cover bands, which is interesting because nobody else does that. Yeah. At least not that I'm aware of. That is an interesting angle. So you want to have some sort of unique story that I imagine somebody was describing uh, you to someone at a party. Like, what would they say? Like, hey, this is my friend, so-and-so. Um, you know, he's got a podcast about, uh rare legos you know that would be you know, oh interesting yeah. um so think about that like think of what's the elevator pitch for yourself and then everything you post from your account should reinforce that story so you got to understand that this is no longer your personal platform for you to say whatever you want this is a tool a business tool to to build a brand and tell a story for commercial gain that's what it's for. It's not for you to like express yourself anymore.
0: Yeah, we talk a lot about you know the things you should and shouldn't talk about you know on social media because everything is branding nowadays. Um,
1: you know whether you feel a certain way politically or whatever. You know, and, and if you want, if you want to, if your story is all about um, your political beliefs, then go for it. Sure. If 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 that's the decision that you want to make, but make it a decision. Right don't don't shoot yourself in the foot by stepping on one of those third rail issues um because you didn't think about it
0: yeah there's plenty of examples of people doing that um as of recent so
1: yeah Yeah.
0: We're, (laughs) we're uh we've been pretty you know branding is something that we talk about a lot because you know if you are just a band that plays other people's stuff then like the the primary way that you um you know you differentiate yourself is the way that you kind of present yourself to the world. You've so, got to have a story
2: about who you are because it's not coming out in your songwriting.
0: hundred
1: yep. percent. Yep. That's great. That's a great way to put it. Um, and, you know, again, I don't know that much about the cover band world, but uh, to me, you know, the way I would think about it is a cover band in particular is entertainment. Like it's not, at least to me, like I don't see it as art. It's entertainment. We feel, and the same. that's not, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing at all. So, how can you be entertaining? You know, uh, they're not exactly a cover band, but Steel Panther is like a perfect example of this. Yeah. I mean, and their success speaks for itself. Like they're super entertaining. So what kind of entertaining content can you put out? If you're a, you know, Beatles cover band, I don't know enough about the Beatles to give you any great ideas, but there's probably some sort of like inside jokes or trivia that, you know, Beatles fans would know. And you could make jokes about that kind of stuff. There's actually
2: a Beatles tribute act in my market here. Whose name is Wonderwall. I don't get it. I know. I know. But it's really clever if you do. Um, there was a movie that was made in 69 or something that um, Beatles music was used in called Wonderwall. And there's this very staid British guy who peeked through a hole in the wall and saw crazy psychedelic parties happening. Wonderwall it is, is tied in with uh, – with, um, um, some Beatles music. And so it's, there is a connection there even, and then everyone hears it and they're like, what does Oasis have to do with what? I don't even, you know, there is this like question. Um, but for the, for the diehards, for the people who are super into the Beatles, it's like, Oh, that's a thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So leaving those breadcrumbs that people can kind of follow and, you know, interesting little Easter eggs and stuff like that. Again, it's all about storytelling, you know? So before you say, Hey, we're playing at Joe's bar and grill on Friday. You know, the number of people who come to that show is going to be a function of how well you did your storytelling in the, you know, months or years before you asked, before you made that announcement.
0: Right. So like my primary project is a, is like an eighties focused tribute band. And so for us, like anytime there's a new season of stranger things, or there's some sort of like, you know, any sort of like throwback pop culture thing that pops up is a great way for us to kind of engage with our audience because we know that they're kind of into that kind of thing and so we kind of use those as opportunities to kind of, you know, to to post about things and kind of share them, you know, with our audience. Um but as far as sending things for like posting things for your your band or whatever, you know, I know that you know one of the things that you do is is you do social media coaching and you've got Certain kind of posts that you think that bands should kind of or, or brands should kind of focus on. Um, how how exactly do you break those down? Like, I know that one that you talk about a lot is like like magnets, but like, what are some of the other ones that um, that might be valuable to uh, to the people who are checking this out?
1: Well, let me explain what a like magnet is because I think that's the most important thing. If you if you find your like magnet, this is game changer for you. Uh, a like magnet is my term for the piece of content that you can post that you know, with 90% certainty is going to get a lot of engagement and get you new followers. So anytime you want to grow your audience, you just post this thing and you know that you're going to get a, li- a ton of likes and new followers. And that's hard to find. And it's going to take experimentation and there's no real you know, one size fits all solution for that. But you know, for me, for example, I make... Memes about the scene, about the music scene. And I guess I do a good job of it because they always get good engagement, and I'll get between, you know, 10 and 100 new followers every time I post one of those. So, you know, you do the math. If I post two of those a week, that's 20 to 200 new people a week. And I can choose how often I want to do that. And it's sort of like just imagine you have a faucet where you can just turn on growth. I mean, that's what everybody wants, right? So, that, that, I think, is the closest thing to like, you know, a magi- like a, a magic bullet on social media. Um, so there's that. Um, and, and that is the very top of the funnel. That's to broaden to, to get new people into your audience and just to make light small talk conversation with your audience. And then once you've got those new people in there, well, you gotta, you gotta start. Eventually you gotta have a little bit more substantial uh, conversation with them or else they're just going to, you know, look at you as the guy that posts memes. So then you need to tell them a little bit more about yourself and where you're coming from and what you do and all that kind of thing. And one important thing to note here is like, not every post is designed to get maximum engagement. So If I post a meme, that's always going to get more engagement than if I post, um, I don't know, something about my philosophy on business. Because, you know, obviously, like my philosophy on business is less entertaining than a meme. But that's okay. Because... That's not my goal with that post. The goal of that of, of my of, of my philosophy post is for the people who see this. I want you to know how I see things in business, so that then eventually, if I announce that I, you know, have openings in my coaching program or something like that, that you might take me up on that.
0: Yeah, you know, for for us, it's kind of trying to find the balance. And actually, uh, for those of you checking this out, um, Finn posted something on his second channel about. Uh, hashtag optimization and some of the systems that uh, he uses in order to kind of like build exposure, kind of break things out and make things easier for people who don't follow his account to, uh, to get to, uh, I highly recommend video, checking.
2: By the way, I really like that. It was, it was, um, it's always been a mystery to me how, you know, you've kind of fish for new followers and that just really, it was just
1: science. It was really clear. Yeah. It's, it's an engineering problem. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's funny because a couple of weeks ago you had posted about Flick Academy and like that whole program. So I had actually gone through that whole deal and signed up for their service before the video came out. So <laughs> the week that Perfect. we were talking about doing your interview was like, he posted this really great video about this thing that I had already done. But if I hadn't done it, I would have done his thing like immediately. And I didn't so, point out
2: to you like a couple of weeks earlier. I was like, man, you were hashtagging like crazy around our post. What is going on here? Like it's this much hashtag. Work. It's working. It, it's working. Yeah
0: engagements up yeah we're, we're we're still trying to find like the whole ranking situation we've got a yeah. couple of hashtags that we're kind of like we're ranking on every now and then but again we're still trying to find whatever that like magnet is you know sometimes it's it's gear posts and other times it's memes and other times it's just random personal stuff which just we're trying to you know it's we're still in that kind of like discovery phase of what's the thing that really you know our our audience is really into so you know it's a work in progress and it's been really interesting to kind of like mess with things and kind of tweak things and try to figure out what what works and what doesn't. But, like, you made an excellent point about, like, what's engaging and what is, you know, what we think is, like, important content. Um, last week, I did uh, a whole series on, like, QR codes for, for musicians. And engagement was not very high, even though it was, like, it took a lot of effort and it was very informative. Yeah. Versus, like, you know the picture of the guy crying because it says you should practice if you want to be good at guitar uh <laughs> that got way more traction Dude. so you know it is just trying to find like the push and pull of what you want to do is and, and what you're trying to you know put out there and um you know make interesting and compelling to your audience so
1: right you, you got to eventually be willing to go for the ask and accept that not everyone's going to like that because if all you do is optimize for engagement then you're just gonna be a meme page and you're gonna get a lot of engagement and a lot of followers, but so what? To what end? But you're you saying know? it's about you finding the right time, right? You're saying it's about finding the
2: moment.
1: Finding the moment, and just you know, it's it's um thinking about the funnel, you know, the right time, the right content, and it's and there's um, you know, there's there's no easy answers to when that is for everybody. Um, but if I was to Kind of put some rough guardrails out there. I would say that if you're in the situation where you're trying to grow your following, and this you know this changes over time, so I, I'm no longer trying to grow my following on Instagram as much as I used to, for example. Um, so I'm being less aggressive there. But most people, for mo- for most people, aggressive growth is a goal of theirs. Yeah. So if you were in that phase, I would say, roughly speaking. or 60% of your content should be engagement should be content where you're optimizing for engagement. What are your thoughts around
0: like following other accounts that are kind of in the same lane as you?
1: Uh, And then doing what?
0: Like kind of like sniping their followers, like going and finding an account that kind of does what you do and like following the people that follow them. Like, do you think that's a, a,
1: like a worthwhile endeavor? Uh, well, I mean, maybe, I mean, to me, that seems very labor intensive and, you know, you're going to get three followers at a time. And I I think that whole tactic of following people in hopes that they'll follow you back to me is kind of spammy. Uh, and I think people see that coming now. Um, that's my experience anyway. Sure. So I, it's not something I would do. Um, it, it just, and it doesn't scale. I mean, you, what are you going to do? Like do that two hours a day? I mean, I guess you could, people do that, but um, I, I would say making great content is the better solution there. Like people are always looking for some sort of like hack or workaround or like it, it doesn't exist. You have to make good content and then you use things like hashtags to get that content in front of good people or in front of the right people. But you know, remember it, it, I mean, just like, uh, just like with your music, you could, you know, pay a bunch of money to put your song in the middle of the Super Bowl, but if it's not a good song, nobody's going to care. Yeah. So you need to, you need to always, like, everything I'm saying here assumes that you have good content. And exactly. by the way, you don't decide what's good content, the audience does. Mm. And it's sometimes a bitter pill to swallow, but, you know, you got to accept the fact that they're the judge, not you. So if you put something out there and nobody likes it, then that means it wasn't good content, at least in the eyes of your audience. And uh, it, it's it's not it's not fun. I mean, sometimes I put out videos that I am really proud of that I thought were great, and my audience is not into it. And I, you know, it it stings a little bit, but you just gotta you know lick your wounds and face reality and and understand that they're the judge, not you.
0: And it may, you, you've kind of talked about this recently that you know you're you're starting to kind of lean into things that you wouldn't necessarily um, be as interested in as you as you normally would because you've kind of realized that there's a particular you know the majority of your audience is interested in this particular content and that, you know there's a bit of it where you kind of have to be you kind of have to get over the fact that like this is what my audience wants and and you know if if my job is to provide content for my audience then this is the kind of content that i need to be creating or generating the people
1: what they want that's your job you know think of it like you know there's these bands that won't play their big song yeah and you're just like why why don't you just fucking play the song and and i understand you know there's some cases where like it's about somebody who died and it's emotionally difficult for them. And I understand that, but if it's just because, well, that's, you know, that song doesn't really sound like us. That's our poppy song, but you know, we don't play that. Cause it's just like, dude, just get over yourself and give the people what they want. Play the song. Yeah, we we coverers don't have a problem with that. We'll play the song. Not a problem. Yeah, that's a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. If you won't do it, the
0: cover bands will Darn Right. Cherry pie. We don't care. It's you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Um, I do know that one. Yeah, yeah. there you go excellent (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i you know i just think that um for a lot of people who are who feel in this particular season kind of stuck because they can't do the thing that they've been kind of accustomed to doing that um there's so many opportunities out there for musicians and and people to kind of like shift gears and kind of find out what they're what, what else they're good at um and that you know a different perspective, just, you know, a couple of ideas or just things that they can do in order to kind of maybe not necessarily try something different, but build up a, a channel that they've already established that they may not have put as much effort into. They now have all this time, this opportunity to kind of like pour into, Yeah. You know, for us, you know, the, the podcast comes out every week, but I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm messing around with the Instagram account and I'm messing around with the YouTube channel and just kind of like trying to find different, ways to kind of like flex that creative muscle because, you know, that's all that I've got right now. You know, there's, there are no shows to be had. So why not try something new? Why not, you know, take an hours long video and cut out all the ums (laughs) and put it into a minute long compilation of, you know, us being terrible podcasters, you know, for the entertainment of others. Um, you know, that's just the kind of thing that we've been, we've been kind of messing around with seeing what sticks. So.
1: I mean, here's how I would think about it however many Instagram followers you have, whether it's 10 or 10,000 or whatever, imagine that you were in a room with those people you're on stage and you can't play your instrument. What would you do? That's how I would think about this. Exactly. Tell funny stories, you know,
0: be relatable, try to find common ground. Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: Play a trivia game. I don't know.
0: Yeah, man. Well, you know, this has been incredibly valuable. Uh, to, to us, if no one else, you know, Dan and I have been doing this for a, a couple of years at this point. And we started off talking to just you, you know, the two of us and, you know, hoping that people would, you know, think it's interesting. And if nothing else, like I, I definitely got a lot out of this. So, yeah. uh, Finn, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. And I hope that, uh, everybody who's checking this out finds this, uh, interesting and informative as well. But, uh, just wanted to thank you again for, uh, for dropping in and, and, dropping some knowledge on us man thanks for having me so great well guys i think it's a perfect time to wrap up so uh thank you again for your continued support and for uh checking us out you can do all the things that dan's about to do in our post roll but for this week i'll go ahead and call it from atlanta georgia i am adam johnson Greensboro, north carolina i'm dan Ray. and in
1: washington i'm finn mckenty there you go
0: Nailed it. I totally cut you off. My bad. You've been listening to the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, episode 117. Have a great week.
2: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. If you want to help us, be sure to share us with your friends, follow us on social media, and if you haven't already, please leave a review for us on the podcast platform of your choice facebook.com slash coverbandconfidential instagram at coverbandconfidential and twitter at coverbandconfid if you have any questions please email us at coverbandconfidential at gmail.com and consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com slash and for more info check out www.coverbandconfidential.com